0: Hey Boomers, welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your online guide to the sensational world of Sega and Sonic the Comic, hosted by me, Dave Bulmer, And me, Chris McFeely. Hello, welcome. Uh, it's this podcast again. Again? Already? Yeah, we're on the third one already, and we're brought straight online. It does say online, your online guide to the sensational world of Sega, right here on the inside front cover. I don't know why it said that. It does, actually. I never really noticed that before. Yeah we're your online guide.
1: Control
0: Zone. And here we have another World of Sega column like we did in issue two, Um, this time titled Sega Celebs, in which we learn that both East 17 and somebody called David Jensen, who I googled and found out was a DJ, uh, oh, and uh, Chris Evans, who we've met before, not the Chris Evans from Marvel, the Chris Evans from the 90s, uh, have been photographed standing near
1: costumes of
0: Sonic and Tails for
1: some reason. And again, I wonder if... Like we were saying in our previous episode, I feel like this might be from that uh, Sega Rally Championship (laughs) again, because we know Chris Evans was there.
0: We do, yes. Um, And uh, and it's admitting here that these aren't sort of A-tier celebrities by saying, forget those Hollywood tough guys who jet around the world opening burger restaurants. I don't know what that was a reference to.
1: Well, that would be in reference to uh, Planet Hollywood, wouldn't it? But when
0: was Planet Hollywood opened? I don't know. The true celebrities flock to the Sega superstars. Take a look at these famous faces who recently had the honour to meet Sonic and Tails. And uh, so, uh, listeners, East 17 was a a boy band made up of, was it two
1: chaps? Mm. I remember East 17, but you're asking an awful lot of me to remember any more than that. Well, they were quite the rage in
0: my class with uh, with two uh, boys. This was a boy band that appealed to boys, at least in my class. Um, because I think they liked the way that they wore their their baseball caps by just balancing them up just lightly yeah. on the top of their heads. Which was a fashion that was very much followed by two of the boys in my class who fashioned themselves as a bit hard.
1: Um I like to call this show a time capsule and boy howdy, <laughs> if East 17 in their baseball caps isn't the time capsuleist thing. And
0: not just baseball caps, look, one of them is wearing cool dude sunglasses. And a denim jacket yes oh i used to like to wear a denim jacket when i could me and my on a non-uniform day at school me and my friend both turned up in an identical denim jacket and of course denim jeans combo how embarrassing which one of you went home to change not at all we were delighted does megadroid say anything we need to pay attention to in the welcome screen probably not it seems like boomers everywhere have given and again we're not talking about boomers the generation it meant sonic boomers readers of this comic have given sonic the comic a massive thumbs up the the mail bins are overflowing with letters and drawings and stuff i guess what that means is that the the comic has you know sold sufficiently that it gets to continue existing so that's good news
1: he does tell us about the amazing free gift of the issue though which sadly we do not have access to in mm. any way which is a double-sided huge poster it had sonic on one side and it had steel talons reviewed last issue we don't know anything about it um on the other side and Dave, uh, your your copy doesn't have it either, so... No, I don't have that here, and, but what I do have is the, the telltale
0: um, prized open... Staples. Staples, that mean that that was very carefully removed and not simply the ripped because... The only way to remove. Well, and even that wasn't good enough, was it? Oh, no,
1: because you could never get the staples back the right way.
0: Well, yeah, the poster always had those four holes down oh, the middle yeah. and, of course, the big fold, so it wasn't great, but... No, I can't remember what poster it was, unless it was the one... It wasn't the one, was it, that was, like, um, Sonic and Tails running through a sort of orange, flashy, whizzy uh, environment towards a big ring that they were going to run through? Because I certainly had that one on my wall for a number of years. But I feel like that was... I wish I could... I think that might have been big enough
1: to even have been a poster mag. I'm not sure. I don't remember that from a poster mag, and I did have... Mm. most of the poster mags so maybe I don't maybe. know maybe I, I I did not have this issue as we've previously established so I can't say once we hit issue six on the other hand just you wait till all the memories come cascading
0: back hotshot alert the high scores and achievements are rolling in from boomers all over the country but we still need more reed you are not sending us in your high scores please do <laughs>
1: <laughs> well like that's a question for you no idea. Yeah. Did you pay it? Like, that, this is no. how games were structured back in the day. But you didn't... I didn't pay attention to the score.
0: I have never in my life been able to tell you what my high score at anything yeah, was. Yeah, no,
1: exactly. Nothing. I Nothing. Didn't, I didn't give a toss. That it wasn't, wasn't it how wasn't games the point. worked then. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, like, it's very much an arcade holdover where yeah. you get to live in infamy and immortality with your three-letter initials if you got the high score. On the high score, score table, matter, yeah. at home. No, you always
0: wrote... B-U-M as your, as your initials, and you always were at the top of the leaderboard because the rest of it was just pre-installed. Yeah, um, games like Space Invaders where you carried on playing until you eventually lost and then you saw how many points you'd racked up that was where points were from, but already by the time you have a Mega Drive, nobody cares about that. You're getting to the end boss. Yeah, there and were yes, levels. There were objectives to defeat. Yeah, technically, yes, you could score points in these games, but only because it was just a hold. It was just an arbitrary holdover.
1: Yeah, and then if you the- got to continue, your score was wiped or whatever, and a big hairy deal. You didn't care. I mean, presumably somebody out there cared But it certainly is not difficult for me to to imagine That the boomers out there were not sending in high scores Because they didn't care And I don't ever remember um, this becoming like a segment I don't ever remember um, readers' high scores Ever becoming a thing in the comic Which certainly seems to indicate that you and I Are on the right side of history (laughs) (laughs) And if
0: they even were there at all who, why Why would you ever have read them? You'd need to have a point of reference for every game of what, what is a high score for that game. I mean, Do that's even,
1: true, but I did read all the cheats in the Q-Zone, so... What, really? Even for games you didn't have? Uh, even for... I poured over this magazine, Dave. I, <laughs> uh, every inch of this magazine did I read.
0: Well, I, read I, the I charts
1: can, for the things I didn't own. <laughs> I
0: can understand it, because I am the man who, not yet owning a Mega Drive, but desperately wanting one... Uh, ordered from the school book club a a a walkthrough of sonic 2 um just to have the vicarious experience yeah i thought it was going to be these pull out glossy pages so i'd be able to essentially read sonic 2 but no it was just diagrams in black ink on paperback book paper was it even official i doubt it oh well no i think it was no i think it was i think it was called the sega gold guide now I've googled it and cleared up my memory Yes, the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 official Sega Gold Guide Did have some colour pages on which they showed you the bosses So that, I don't know, they could just tell you more specific <sighs> stuff about the bosses But also, some preview screenshots of the upcoming Sonic CD oh. Including from the intro Very, very exciting But forget all of that The Sega Chats. Not much in the Sega charts to bring up, uh, except that we have a re-entry on the Master System from
1: Ghostbusters, which must have been ten years old or so by then. I, I don't know. I mean, it fired in there at number five as well. That's a big spot for something to what re-enter happened? on. It an Alien Storm back in at four and five. Maybe they re-released them for the cheap. What or happened?
0: Oh, was it one of those cheap games that came out? I'm just trying to think what happened in 1993 to do with Ghostbusters. It, it certainly wasn't when Ghostbusters 2 came out. That was long gone. It wasn't gone.
1: anything to do with the cartoon. I, I, they must have... They no? must, surely it must have been re-released or, or been. offered for cheap or something. We would speculate. Absolutely. If we were perhaps professionals, we would have done our research. But. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and as we're not, let's just plow on. Sonic! In Mayhem in the Marble Zone. Script, Mark Miller again. Art, Jose Casanova's. Um, I don't haven't been able to find out anything about this person Except that they're Spanish And lettering from LSFL
1: And certainly Casanova's art Is the big talking point with this one Yeah, do some talking about it uh, well, well, we'll let's sum up the story First of all Mayhem in the Marble Zone it's called In which um, Sally Acorn's little brother Tufty Stop!
0: <laughs> right Now, Chris and I were enjoying a certain shared context When we recorded this but as I edit it, I think it's safe to say a lot of listeners who know the name Sally Acorn might need some context here. Sally is known in America, from the Deke cartoon we affectionately refer to online as SatAm, and in Archie's American Sonic comics, in which she's a main character, a princess, the leader of the freedom fighters, and Sonic's main squeeze. Well UK Sonic does not squeeze. And that Sally is not at all who we're talking about here. Before all that, Sally Acorn was just Sega's name for one of the little animals that hopped away from destroyed badniks in the original Sonic game on the Mega Drive. We had names for some of the others. The pig was Porker Lewis, as we've mentioned before, likewise the rabbit was Johnny Lightfoot, the penguin was Tux, the walrus was Joe Sushi, the chicken was Chirps, the bluebird was called Flicky, and the squirrel was called Sally Acorn, and that was all that name meant. A sweet little squirrel name provided to Sonic fans to make it feel a bit more like the animals trapped in Robotnik's badniks were people we knew and wanted to protect. Now, I think it's worth mentioning that even though she's now long-established as like a big Sonic character, Sonic the comic wouldn't have been defiantly ignoring the American version of Sally Acorn here. They just wouldn't have had any reason to know about her at the time. If they did, and they could have, she did exist, she debuted in a trial-run comic miniseries a couple of months ago, then they were ignoring all that, and they had to because it actively contradicted the story material that Sega had provided for them to represent. So as we hear about Sally Acorn this issue. Don't Imagine Princess Sally, that's just something from one cartoon and one comic, both of which had very little to do with their source material. This is the original little squirrel from the game, just one of several fuzzy little animal friends to be found populating the pages of this comic.
1: Sally Acorn's little brother Tufty steals a pair of Sonic's old, quote, power boots and uses the lingering bit of high-speed energy in them to run off to fight Robotnik to try and prove himself a hero. But he runs a file of some badniks in the Marble Zone and Sonic has to come to his rescue. And does, basically. That's, that's about it. Now, this story, uh, particularly
0: the artwork, unlike the previous issue, this is jam-packed with stuff that's from Sonic. Mm. Just really rammed with it. Um, so we begin on a, a half-page picture which is very very familiar to me and i'll tell you why in a moment of a very accurately depicted marble zone but not just you know they haven't just copied the screen here it really is a sort of a 3d depiction of what you could extrapolate from playing the marble zone it might look like in real life as it were and i'm very fond of that some badniks are bullying a small squirrel called tufty and are about to drop one of Robotnik's wrecking balls off his egomatic on him, and all because, as you said, he was trying to emulate Sonic by playing Hero. And then we cut back to the Green Hill Zone and find Sonic lost in a pair of headphones. Because he's cool. Because he's really cool. Because he's so cool. It's, an- it's very similar to uh, having shades on, is to be listening to a Walkman in those days.
1: It is. It's, it's, uh, it's another example. And again, this is another Mark Miller script, does with the second issue. Mm. Um, uh, so again, Miller was really if there was one writer, to my memory, and we'll see as we go again, who really rammed home that kind of cool that Sonic was, yeah. it was it was Mark Miller. He does two
0: things here. He does that, and also, he really starts to write in stuff about the games. It is, it is, I would mm-hmm. say, this this issue we've gone right back into, or we're about to go right back into, the level of game fidelity, as we had in issue one, in my opinion.
1: I mean, I see you say that with a pleasant tone in your voice. I do. I, I feel like it's more of a sort of it's less of a story and more of just a little run through of things from the games you see i'm not I'm not super into it personally
0: I won't argue against that, but um, I guess at the time, I just think I was i think I think it was the idea of like when I wanted to buy a Sonic comic, I wanted a comic of Sonic, and this is that, and I like this that is it, very true I like that it gradually became something more, but I like that it gradually became something more instead of like Archie did just launching straight into just some random unconnected thing so and to get there you i guess have to have a couple of issues of just like check it out um but yeah i take your point there actually anyway so engrossed is sonic in his music that tails has to actually kick him Hmm. and we have the first instance of sonic's bad attitude because he says watch it tails you're playing with fire and there it is there's that
1: right that's our first i will end you that's the stc sonic I mean, we've definitely had little little tastes of his cocksure cool, but this is like, yeah, don't don't cross me. Watch it, bucko. Yeah, and being mean to Taylor. You know, I've just uh, noticed on the left-hand panel there, it didn't even really register. Because, I don't know, when I was younger it didn't, but um, we see how uh, artists struggled with Sonic closing his eyes.
0: Yes, he's got white... Eyelids here with, you know... He's
1: got, yeah, just the, the white giant goggle visor is still there, and then he's got drooping eyelids in place of his pupils floating in the middle of the white void. Yeah. In my mind, and I have no idea if this is based on something from Sonic the Comic, or if it's something else, or if it's just how I sort of understood it, was... In my mind, I always imagined that his eyelids were that flesh tone. Oh,
0: did you? Yes, that's right, because the real question is usually, do I draw them flesh tone or do I
1: draw them blue? Um, I think Richard Elson drew them flesh tone. That I feel like he must have, because why else would it be so burned in my mind? But it may not be the case. So, right in, listeners. Well, we can say they're not supposed
0: to be white. <laughs> we can. We can say that with absolute
1: clarity. I remember. I think it was a Casanova's issue oh, yeah. from well down the line. But I, I remember another issue where he has his eyes closed. Mm-hmm. But it's he's lecturing somebody and he has his eyes closed <laughs> in a, in a mock um, pretentious way. Yeah. And their hideous little tiny blue eyelids inside his big white void eyes. It's heinous beyond all measure, and it's burned into my memory.
0: <laughs> oh my god! I oh that's the, There are so many odd quirks of Sonic's design that basically. Never got worked out quite mm. exactly.
1: How do? And what color are Sonic's eyelids? I don't know now. I want to say flesh tone, but it's funny you say because Casanovas here, um, lovely art generally speaking all the way through. Easily uh, the best yeah. art that we've seen on the Sonic strip. In oh, those yeah. first three issues, but um, yeah. his Sonic does look odd, his Sonic doesn't look right. Well, and I would say that's true of the other
0: characters again, same as when it was Wonder Boy, we're looking at very Japanese styled characters being drawn by someone who is more used to a let's say a more Looney Tunes style,
1: um, yeah, or a, or a Disney style,
0: actually, more that, yeah, more of a
1: Disney style, yeah. mm-hmm. It's not so much tails looks all right. Yeah, I, I feel like Casanova's maybe drew a tail strip later on, so maybe that's I think so. Partly why that doesn't seem so odd to me, but it, with Sonic in particular, it's the proportions. Mm. Yes. Um, and also he he draws him as having the one row of spikes, which, as we all know, is the cardinal sin that we will not brook on this podcast.
0: Yes, although I, I think he manages to at least draw them as a row of fat spikes. Oh no, no. Um, you see that yeah uh-huh. pages four and Single five they they're thin yep. and i am against oh and then they get thinner as it goes on yes no no but i won't hold that against him or her because hey we didn't know did we it was very difficult to figure out in those days especially i knew well i knew but we <laughs> obsessed over the game we'd played that sonic 2 special stage so
1: yeah but but all in all they're just a bit Off model, you know, it's nothing. Mm. It's not tragic or anything, but but it's just it's still nice art. I think the 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 thing that really signposts it is it's the scene where Sonic is zipping through the zone, and we see some other animals, and those are not uh, those are not Sonic's world animals. Yes,
0: there's a rabbit and a mouse and two birds, and they really look like. I mean, I would say they're out of I don't know something like Bambi, maybe.
1: Yeah, they're very Disneyish animals, and that is. Clearly what he defaults to whenever he doesn't have uh, a style guide to be going off of. You know, but he's done, he's done a fine job with Tufty, who, who I certainly presume did not have any kind of style guide. No, and it's fair
0: because this is a new style. The world hadn't really had this, or at least the Western world. True. I think a lot of artists had to really work hard to adjust, and, and frankly it's one of many, many things that are to artist Richard Elson's credit mm. that he was able so quickly to settle into this this completely foreign it, well, literally, art style that, that 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 he wouldn't have had to have approached before. And to not
1: only settle into it, but... You know, not to get away mm. from talking about Casanovas, but in C.S. of Elson, not only to settle into it, but to basically define it. Yeah,
0: really commanded it. Um, but, yeah, no, the artwork here is nice, and I really like it. It's, it's, it's like it's from... It's clearly from something else, but it fits with this way more naturally than, say... You know the the, the Wonder Boy um, does. So here is then Sally Acorn, the first time one of the yes. little animals' names is used in the comic.
1: Yeah, uh, Porka Lewis.
0: Oh, that's right. Yes, quite right. So we've had Porka Lewis, then nothing last issue, and now Sally Acorn. Miller feels comfortable dropping a younger brother called Tufty onto Sally. Um, and why not? As an arbitrary background character whose name was an afterthought in the background of the franchise bible, nobody's ever going to care about this Sally Acorn character, so you may as well just come up with anything, eh, readers? I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Sally Acorn, a main... arguably the main character in the uh, the Archie comic for years and years. Oh, you're
1: starting some flame wars with that one, Dave.
0: Don't you think? Oh. It was about Sally. (laughs) Sonic was just there as window dressing, um, to the extent that I wouldn't at all be surprised if one of the ingredients that went into the creation of Satayan was an already existing idea for a for a freedom fighters led by princess thing based on Star Wars. Uh,
1: maybe.
0: I've never thought of that until just that moment. But the the princess leading the the freedom fighters, right? Yeah. Now Sally was
1: never a princess, of course, in the uh, in the British material. I, no, I, I'm not sure when that. Ke- I feel. I feel like that probably did come up in the development of the cartoon, rather than in any of the um, Sega backstory.
0: Oh yeah, which which just lends more credence to my idea that it was a, a already existing idea for a Star Wars thing that they just oh. had to graft Sonic characters and licenses onto. But yes, yeah, somewhere between whatever development happened between Archie and Deke, whoever came up with it first, she became Princess Sally during that development. But here she's just Sally Acorn, just a squirrel who really isn't particularly used again. I don't know if she ever
1: is. No, yeah. There's there's the one famous bit they do with her as a newsreader, and that's it. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. Um, We learn that Tufty has found a, an old pair of Sonic's power boots containing a bit of his high-speed energy, which is in direct contradiction
1: of the previous issue, is it? I, I don't feel like it, no. Like- now, Why not? I've come up with a reason why not. My read would be that Sonic's high-speed energy uh, was absorbed by the boots over time. Oh. So the power comes from Sonic, not from the boots. So
0: so he's just running and then yeah. that goes in his boots? I guess. Why not? A saved up supersonic energy. It's a bit of magical thinking, but it'll do for this kind of story. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, my interpretation here is that Sally says he found a pair of your old power boots and ran off to fight Robotnik. And Sonic says, hmm, my old power boots might still contain a bit of my high-speed energy. Won't last for long, but long enough to get Tufty in trouble. Something about that, I think the fact that it won't last for long, makes me comfortable imagining that what he's found is a, a, a speed boost. You know, the the, the boost yeah. you get in a PC monitor that has boots.
1: Oh, well, that's yeah, that's absolutely what Miller's inspiration for it is. I All have right. no doubt in that. And certainly, that was that's. I mean, that was a point in Stay Sonic that I always felt a little confused about. Was um, the fact that Kintabor had invented the sneakers, yeah, and he called them Power Sneakers, and I was like, well, but those are the high-speed shoes. Yeah, those aren't the shoes he wears all the time.
0: That's a good point, and I'm going to file that along with my complaint about Stay Sonic, which is that why was his name already Sonic?
1: Um, well, it, it
0: could just be a name. Well. <laughs> It, we've since found out in the uh, in the series Bible that all yes. that came from. It wasn't. Yes. I think he was called Sonny originally. Yes. No, that, yeah. But
1: that was the early, early iteration of it where he lived under a hedge in oh. North Dakota or wherever it was.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's right. By
1: a burger joint or whatever on Earth. I <laughs> yeah. think he was always Sonic.
0: As a child, I thought he would be called Speedy, um, when speedy he was, before he look. was Sonic. That was my little bit. in the, Yeah, because he was quite fast.
1: <laughs> um, oh, and so he went from Speedy to Sonic, did he?
0: Yeah. Um, So then, we see Sonic running really fast, which, when you think about it, we actually haven't had very much of up till now.
1: No, it's mostly been uh, running to bop things rather than... There have been, like, scenes of him zipping off to go somewhere, but no actually extended scenes of Sonic. That's right, and here we have a whole
0: page of his just zipping Hmm. around and doing, as you said, game stuff.
1: He, look at his face did, what an attitude
0: yes these are the birds if you're not looking at this by the way listeners uh, the, the birds he passes go whoa did you see his face look at him go what an attitude
1: the first acknowledgement of hedgehog with attitude in STC uh, again Mark Miller really selling the edge mm. of Sonic like like we pointed out last issue more so than any writer he goes round a loop and collects rings. Is this the first time he's collected rings? Uh, I, I think so, yeah. I, I've said before that uh, the representation of the game world is one of my favourite things, but I never did quite like him collecting rings because... Oh, really? Yeah, because... It, where, did, where did they go? Where did the rings go?
0: Well, in this picture, he seems to be keeping them. He's holding them in his hands. He goes through a big ring, like at the end of the levels... Into a special zone! And alright, it's the Sonic 2 special zone, but still, points for trying. Yeah, yeah. And there's an implication that if he'd had fewer rings, or rather, no, uh, less energy... Less than 50 energy. It would have just provided a shortcut to somewhere else on Mobius. I like that idea. The idea that there are these giant rings that are essentially portals to just somewhere on the planet, but if you've got enough rings, you end up in the special zone because you're just covered in magic. I think that's
1: cool. Yep, that's a solid idea. It's a good adaptation of the thing. Um, not that we'd ever. I suppose it's kind. It would kind of come back in the whole Flicky's Island stuff. Yes, that's right. Um,
0: so already we've had Marble Zone, Wrecking Ball, Loops, Rings, Power Boots, Special Zone. It's all in here. It really is, and and I think you're right that it's a bit of a check out the stuff from the games, but. I don't know, I, th- I think credit should go to him for
1: putting this much into something that still functions as a story. Well, that's the strength of this one, is that there is actually an objective being worked towards that's character-driven, yeah. versus the first issue, which was like, they got to run past all the stuff to get to the machine at the end and blow it up, and that's yeah.
0: it. Yeah, for my money, this is the first good Sonic stream. Mm. Yeah. The Badniks drag Tufty towards a big machine, which appears to be the thing that turns animals into Badniks. Interesting to see that. But Sonic appears and he bops them all just in time, and then one last Badnik tries to get away by jumping into lava. <laughs> That's. I'd rather swim in lava than get caught by him, this motorbug says, wheeling off towards... It's doom.
1: Well, it might survive. There are a few bad nicks that
0: can hang out in lava. But Sonic zips into his way to stop him. And by the way, here we have a part of comics that I think I get the sense used to be around a lot more, but that's gone out of style. And I, and yet I embrace it. And that is the little arrow telling you which panel to read next if it's an unusual one.
1: <laughs> well, they say this this particular layout the. Um... The two wide panels stacked on top of each other next to a tall panel that's the height of the pair of them, that is the forbidden layout. You really shouldn't ever do that. Specifically because it requires a little arrow like that, which doesn't bother me so much. I'm kind of on your side, Dave, to be honest.
0: No, I like it. Give me it. I feel like that arrow just solves the problem. Like, it's not forbidden anymore. There's an arrow. Done.
1: Yeah, but it it does require, you know, breaking your immersion in the world of the story, you know, to have this little extra narrative device. Yes, but it... (sighs) So
0: do other things that we accept, like the editor's comments and captions and so on. I feel like it's... It's true. As long as it's an acceptable part of your comics vocabulary, I see no problem with it. So I think all that's happened is it's simply gone out of style as we try and be more cinematic. And I I say... Not necessary.
1: Yeah. I don't think it should be like a forbidden layout if you do it right. If you stage yep. it in such a way that the lettering will unfailingly guide you through the action of the panels so that there's never any question mm-hmm. about what order you're supposed to read them in. Done badly, it can be... It's bad, but it's its easy to do anything bad. So,
0: having zipped into the way of this badnik, uh, Sonic is now uh, underneath a falling spiked crusher weight, which is what they call the, uh, the big falling spike things from the Marble Zone, and... Uh, he's saved from that by tufty who sprints along Mm -hmm. pushes sonic out of the way presumably using some of the sonic speed in his shoes and sonic is saved uh sonic bops uh the badnik and out comes a, a rabbit that just doesn't look anything like a sonic rabbit at all another disney rabbit yes and then back home we have sally acorn sad going oh i hope they come back all right and then they do and they're reunited and sonic finishes off by taking his sneakers back and that's a lot for seven pages. Mm-hmm. The space is used well. I think, mean, really, I think this is this really is testament to Mark Miller. Uh, you know, no surprise he went on to do well in comics because, well, I think he already had done well in comics. But still, no surprise because he's managed to fit in. You know, that that one panel at the top of the last page of Sally waiting for Tufty to return, various diversions just to throw in stuff from the games, and yet to me, it, it did still feel like there was more story, like actual story, in this one than I think we've had in in either of the previous issues.
1: Oh, definitely. It, it's it's the most economical script paired with the best art so far. There's no question this is the best one we've had yet. And yet, the heights we would go on to go to.
0: <laughs> and this, I, I said earlier that I was going to tell you why the first page of it was so familiar to me. This is one of the... Uh, perhaps only two issues of stc that i did ruin from overuse and the reason being not was because i read it over and over again but because i i put it next to my computer with the cover folded round because i was doing a novelization of it
1: oh you did that too (laughs) (laughs) i did tell me
0: tell me chris
1: oh i wrote bunches of them i took all the (laughs) big kitchen elsinarchs and i wrote novelizations of them they were terrible REFUSO!
0: And we got a few games as usual. We got Double Clutch, dunno what that was. Oh, yes, I do, because I can see in the picture it was one of those games like Micro Machines was the best one of. Yeah,
1: top-down driving game. Um,
0: This one, it says this is a very sort of cheap one. It's a 2-megabit cart rather than, as it says here, the vast majority of Mega Drive games take up 4 megabits or more to beef up the graphics. So they acknowledge that this one doesn't look great. Um, One of the ways in which it doesn't look great, from my research, is that um, you can see in the screenshot here that there's only one yellow car, and that is indeed how the races Mm. work. Only your...
1: I was one coloured player car, and everything else is black and white.
0: That's right, and yet still thirty five quid. Oof. We've got Afterburner Three. I quite like this bit at the end of the review. It says the music is absolutely gobsmacking, real finger rigging, humping, pumping stuff, <laughs> and those with apostrophes. So I wonder if you know we, we've been struggling to come up with a, a name for the podcast. I wonder if we should call it the Finger Rigging Humping Pumpers. <laughs> And then we've got Flash uh,
1: The Flash It's based on the TV show I guess It is and I've looked it up on YouTube It is genuinely fast Uh, Yeah because it describes the speed of the play here
0: Yeah just in the ordinary operation of things You really are like really zooming around the screen not in a gimmicky sonic 2006 way but in a way where it's just yeah mm. like the speed of the game is just turned up quite high
1: it's it's under the grave section plays fast beginners may find it hard going you know what gave me a chuckle actually on this one was under the afterburner 3 i presume it's the result of some kind of um error where there's a piece of text where it shouldn't oh. be but under the grave section the the cons it says repetitive action appealing to shoot 'em up fans <laughs> <laughs> what's what's wrong with Shuromar fans? Why <laughs> can't they be appealing to? Yeah, huh? <laughs> I didn't notice that. It's probably supposed to go
0: somewhere else, I think. But um Flash gets eighty percent, which is one of their highest marks. They only really go up to eighty-five. I guess I'm what... sure
1: when we hit the Sonic games, they'll be. I was going to say the they're 80s. probably yeah.
0: holding that back. Yeah, but um that is a full ten percent more than Double Clutch got, and yet it's cheaper by five pounds.
1: Well, it is
0: for the Master System. Oh,
1: so it is. Oh, gosh, yes, it is. Oh, it does look good then. It looks quite nice for a Master System. It does. When
0: I was looking at it on YouTube, I wasn't going, oh, there's a Master System game. If you'd have told me it was Mega Drive, I'd have believed you. That is a good looking game. Um,. And then we've got a Review Zone Extra, in which they tell us about yet more controllers. I had forgotten that it was a thing
1: on the Mega Drive, that there was just loads of controllers. I can't imagine using a joystick on the Mega Drive. I did have a six-button controller later on. Did you ever get one of the non-standard controllers later?
0: No, because I kind of thought that that was, like, wrong. I
1: get it. Don't get you. Not, in
0: a, not, not in a cheating way, but just, like, this is the controller, so everything's made for this. I still kind of feel that way. And like if you get a third-party controller, it's like, well, it's not quite right. <laughs>
1: I think that the six-button... I can't swear because I don't remember properly, but I think the six-button one I had was an official one.
0: Yes, and they do mention... Um, uh, yes,
1: it's in the news zone, I think, later this Oh, issue. that's right.
0: Oh, I won't mention that here then. So, but yes, there's there was an official one. And of course, that was for when you were playing Street Fighter. And probably... Only Street Fighter? Um, Probably. But here we have some joysticks, including the SG Fighter, which says that it has been available for the Amiga. Now, what it doesn't mention is that the Amiga and the Mega Drive had the same ports anyway. Oh, did they? As in, where you plugged your joystick in was exactly the same port as the Mega Drive controllers. So it, it probably is just an Amiga joystick without any changes at all. Maybe they've released it with now, you know, compatible for Mega Drive on the box now. Something worth mentioning here in in the console accessories is that uh, one of the things they advertise is a, a battery pack for the Game Gear, and they tell you that for a mere 40 quid and after seven hours of recharging time, you can run your Game Gear for two
1: hours on this battery pack. Two hours. Oofed. I'll tell you what else is odd as well to me is the accessories bar down the side here which is just um, yes. carry case not so much there's carry cases here for your game gear and it's like sure the game Gear's a portable system and it's got power adapters and yep. everything but there's a it's advertising a carry case for your Mega Drive and your Master System too oh really yeah and I mean sure like maybe you would take it over yeah. to your mate's house I, I never did I guess no certainly I didn't either but I could understand the concept and yeah. this does remind me actually of a story I absolutely have to share on air. Okay, which is a, a friend of mine will always tell the story of how a friend of his back at school did bring his Mega Drive to school. I think it was the old end of term yes. uh, games day type situation, but he forgot it at the bus stop. Oh my god! Left it at the bus station. Oh no! No no no! That's not the end of the story. Oh Dave, no! Dave, 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 Dave. Okay. This was early 1990s Northern Ireland, don't forget. Oh, no. a bag full of computer bits and wires was found (gasps) unattended. They blew it up in a controlled (laughs) explosion. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was a different time. I- uh, I can- Because it was, you know, it's a Mega Drive, it was still new and weird, and this this wasn't something you saw, so there was-
0: And did the owner of this Mega Drive come running back and just
1: see, like- That I don't know, but I like to imagine, don't you, that just- Or as they
0: pulled away in the bus.
1: Pressed up against the glass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In the distance. Oh my
1: word. Shinobi! One, two, three, hurry up! The fear pavilion part three
0: in which again as in parts one and two um not much happens but it happens with style and great readability very much all that happens here is uh, joe fights a master he can barely touch whose main move is dodging so he whips off the old man's belt, lashes it round him and leaves him tied up on the floor at the
1: end. Yep, straightforward and wonderful style. I, I, and again, like we were noting last issue, so influenced by martial arts movies. Yes. This guy's presented as, a, as a, a monk, a holy man. So he greets Musashi mm-hmm. in peace, as it were. You know, uh, It is a wise man who knows who his enemies are. And it, it is a wiser man who recognises his friends. And who but a friend would give fair warning before you begin a fight you cannot win? And as he says this, he's surrounded by a ring of candles and he sweeps his arm arm out so that the force of the wind from his blow blows out the candles, plunging the room into darkness. And then they have to fight in these monochrome panels that illustrate the darkness that again, like last issue, shift to monochrome red as the ferocity of the battle picks up.
0: Yes, in the last issue, they had this particular bit where there was a gimmick of the guy losing consciousness or air or whatever, and everything was kind of turning pink. Here, we have an entire issue, only done in mood lighting, and it's it's all so cool. We, we join him in this kind of eerie, greenish, turquoise-ish arena with the candles on. He then snuffs out the candles, and now we're in this deep blue and then during the fight sequences you have this red and yellow orangey kind of um, sun motif pattern behind them as they fight you've got panels during the rest of the fight that are brightly lit in pinks and oranges but but it's clear that that's
1: just a sort of a metaphor or like Mm -hmm. a part of the presentation and then at the very end as he defeats him and ties him up uh, as you move down the page the hue of the panel shifts from bright red into purple back out into the blue darkness again as the ferocity of the fight dies down as the guy's defeated lovely stuff so simple so effective it's so great and then he and he uh, and he starts swearing in
0: Japanese, presumably. It ends on a great joke, yeah. Yeah, the defeated, tied up master says some stuff in Japanese that I can't read, and uh, Joe Musashi walking away says "tusk tusk." That's no way for a holy man to speak. <laughs> so it is absolutely no surprise that in a few issues' time they will, I believe, release a, a kind of trade paperback collected version of the Shinobi stories. And, and... yeah, oh, I forgot about that. They
1: did, didn't yeah. they? Yeah.
0: I didn't buy it because I was all oh I've already got this so I won't get it and I regret that now. Um because hey, more sales, they might have started doing the Sonic stories as well. Yeah,
1: I think they might have done one or two. Yeah, I think they did. I yeah, think they did. They,
0: they did one for Streets of Rage as well.
1: Right. Because those were probably the best ones.
0: Yeah, and point, so really. out of Sonic the Comic what we eventually ended up with was just like homegrown graphic novel adaptations of like Streets of Rage and Shinobi and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool.
1: And you know, we talked about the colors as well but um mm. This one is also the eastern motifs in the artwork and the panel borders are definitely in, in even greater force in this issue than they have been in previous ones. Yeah. We've got the little ornate corners and everything, but then we have the Rising Sun starburst style graphic to serve as a background right. for the fight montage or the bamboo cane panels on um, around the uh, We've the got master. bamboo
0: cane, yeah. The panels on page two are kind of surrounded by these... Oh, and one. These little mm. corner pieces that kind of sort of resemble... I don't know.
1: No, I don't know what the word is for it, but I it don't looks know. But I know it looks eastern, eastern Asian, Japanese. So, yeah,
0: some sort of fence or way of building a wall that I've seen in eastern things. Um, yeah, they really are. It's a hell of a lot of style put into this it's
1: just really it's really good I love this one panel uh, on the what page is it on the fourth page after they've traded a few blows where they're just you know they're having the the obligatory lull in the middle of the fight and facing off to, to catch their breath and it's like you cannot defeat what you cannot touch um, and it's all cast in blue but there's no background it's solid black mm. it's just this little an artistic representation of the sensory deprivation of the darkness yeah that the room is and you know all that says is Musashi um, the monk the bamboo mat he's on and the candlesticks and the drapes that are hanging around him so you know it's the two men who speak it's the candles where the smoke still creates a scent and it's the drapes that flutter in the breeze. It's everything but sight.
0: Yeah, and there's no panel border on that one either, so it's just like... Mm, yeah, just, just in, in the black void, just floating. They are one with the darkness of the page. It really yeah. is like a little pocket universe of contemplation they're standing in in that moment.
1: Great. I gotta tell you, like I remember enjoying Shinobi, but even reading it now, I'm enjoying it even more than I used to.
0: Yeah, it is really great. New Zone. We have news here of a game called Sylfeed on the Mega Drive, re- about which I I remember
1: nothing. the name, but I don't... The same, yeah. Mega CD, this one is. And, and another instance, as we observed last issue, where we're definitely looking at photographs of TV screens.
0: <laughs> yeah, this time with the big the big band.
1: Complete with scan lines, The, the yeah. big
0: scan line that when, when you used to try and film a CRT TV, it would move down the screen or or did it move up the screen whatever it was it's very visible here and then we have give it some stick uh, telling us about the six button arcade stick and in this little review it says that they are gonna bring out a like a normal with a d-pad presumably six button controller sometime later in the USA.
1: I didn't get the fascination with joysticks that seemed to be going on at this time, to be honest. The only place I knew them from was the arcades, and it seemed to me, I guess, that it defeated the point of a home game system if you had to bring the big, hefty clunkiness of a whole big terminal that it had to be attached to and plonk it down on your table or on the floor in front of you. Next, we've got news of the
0: Sonic Balloon. Um... <laughs> Sonic the Balloon. Still the best Sonic balloon, I think.
1: I've seen more modern ones and they aren't as good. Spikes aren't too bad. Seems to have that one that's... central row, but I'll let it off. Oh, no, I don't know. Look at that top picture. I think you can see. Yeah, he, there's definitely multiple rows there, but then you look at the one below that and it does seem to have at least the one central row. Oh, yeah. With the ridge. With the Still, ridge, that's the um, problem. It looks quite good.
0: And so, basically, you've got this photograph of. A load of normal hot air balloons at some sort of hot air balloon event,
1: it actually does oh um Switzerland, Switzerland in February doesn't say what the event is, but oh, and Sonic,
0: who is the only shaped balloon in the in the place, just standing among them and then later flying over some some forest, it just looks lovely, I like it
1: And then, it, and then the balloon watch segment tells you that if you're on your holidays at uh <laughs> in France or Germany or uh, in Budapest and Hungary, you can see it at various Grand Prix that are being held, which again obviously means this balloon was tied in with the... Um, there
0: we go, the sponsorship deal. The Sega from...
1: sponsorship deal that we've read about in previous issues.
0: On the next page, uh, readers at home who might be trying to read along and will presumably be doing that in scans, won't have the next page because it's gameware and uh, the scans tend to omit the adverts. But this one is worth bringing up. Uh, I've already sailed straight past adverts for things such as Terminator figurines and the game Cool Spot, but here we have a number of SEGA t-shirts, which are extremely desirable. We have a boy wearing a t-shirt of the Sonic 1 title screen, not in a box, it is all over the t-shirt. You know, you've got the scrolling parallax water at the bottom, you've got the clouds at the top, and Sonic... In his big logo in the middle, not as he appears on the title screen. It is a, a standard drawing of Sonic to replace the original. But fantastic! Yes, please, give me that now! Um, and if you want one Listeners, of those. Listeners, if you know where you can get one of those. I know exactly where I can get one. I have to phone their 24 hour credit card hotline and talk. Oh, I have some bad news for you. And talk to the evil Dr. R. And uh, if anyone at home wants to try this out, it's telephone number 0272767882. Or send a cheque with coupon to Business Alternatives Limited. I don't know what alternatives to business they're trying out over there. <laughs> but hey, maybe if you send in your, your coupons now, then you'll find out. Because you get 20% off if you order any five of the above shirts, or 10% off if you order three. So get together with your friends and combine your orders. Actually quite reasonable there. Um, that is something we could actually do. So they're pitching, not to the parents there, but to the uh, to the crowd who, like me and my friends... Uh, would try and uh, club together all our pocket money to buy as many things off the tricks, jokes, and magic tricks page at the back of a. I don't know, what was that in? The old comics that used to have them. And then we have the final part of the grand opening competition. But things have changed. They're not just asking for tokens anymore. Oh. Perhaps they've uh, been informed by some kind of watchdog that you're actually supposed to test the children's uh, knowledge in some way. So now what you have to do is you have to match the names to the games. There are four names, there are four games. Can can you match... I'm going to do it to you. Can you match the character names to the games? Oh, okay. The characters are... Axel Stone, Joe Musashi, Shion, and Miles Prowler. I'm having the most trouble with Miles Prowler. I don't recognize that name from anything, but the options... Uh, I
1: can't say it's too familiar to me, all right?
0: No, the, yeah. the options are Revenge of Shinobi, Sonic the Hedgehog 2... Wonder Boy and Streets of Rage. I-, I wouldn't have been able to tell you half of those before we started this podcast. I must admit.
1: <laughs> no, I would remember Joe Mustachi, all right, and I remember Shion because of the story I told about my mum last issue. I might not have remembered Axel offhand, but Process of Elimination in it. Golden Eye, Citadel of Dead Souls, Part Three. BIG ATTACK! BIG ATTACK! That's the first thing.
0: Oh boy. You've got the sort of the recap caption. And then Axel just
1: hopping into the air in a big boing with his knees up and everything and his sword out shouting, BIG ATTACK! And you got to assume once again that that is (laughs) something from the game. I mean, I assume so. He was just in the clunkiest way possible. Because otherwise they've just written, Big attack! Like I'm gonna do a big attack on you. I know, right? You don't choose to write that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm googling it now to see if big attack is is a thing, but I don't know.
1: So this episode of Golden Axe, um, Axe uh, Battler, is overcome by the sleeping potion that was given to Rigia Mortius last issue and brought to the dungeon where he's chained up alongside Gilius, while the sorcerer black spell takes Tyrus Flare to be sacrificed in the Corpse Lands but uh, Gilius and Axe are able to escape. Um, they find the citadel is deserted, as everyone has left to witness the sacrifice. And then, rather randomly, a wizard appears, named uh, a, a trader wizard named <laughs> Prophet appears, to uh, who has seen the future, knows where Tyrus is, 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 is and what's going to happen to her, and um, appears purely so that he can sell Bizarians, the dragon mounts, for Ax and Gilius to ride to the corpse lands, which they do, where they are met by Ultima, black spells priestess, who raises an army of uh, Ray Harryhausen style skeletons to fight them, and that's where our story concludes this week. Yeah. Um,
0: I don't have much uh to to dig deep into about this one. No. Um, I did like that at the very start. We left in the previous issue uh, with um, who's the lizard lady? What's Rigia her name? Mortius. Oh yes. Rigia Mortius being sent off with a, a potion to administer to Axe Battler. Um, and the way that she administers it <laughs> yep. is that she just chucks it in his face yeah, yeah. and it just thunks
1: off his nose. She doesn't splash it in his face, <laughs> listener. Yeah. She literally just hucks the bottle at him and just beans him right in the right in the face. That's, it's really good. <laughs> But then there's a, there's another one of these little Mark Isles jump cut moments oh, yeah. where he's beamed in the face with the bottle and then the next panel, his unconscious body is already being dragged into the dungeon
0: yes of the citadel of dead souls
1: and we have to retroactively discover a panel or two later that it was a sleeping potion that knocked him out yeah that's right it could have just been that she chucked it in his head so hard that he just got knocked out i want to call it an economy of storytelling but i feel like that's a phrase i would only use to compliment something (laughs) i don't want to pay it as a compliment to golden (laughs)
0: axe i'm comfortable complimenting this i didn't i didn't notice that jump cut when i read it today so like that, yeah, that was fine by me. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But it was... I tell you what, at this point, I, I did feel as if the peril was sufficiently raised. Like, they were all chained up. All three of them at this stage.
1: Yeah. I didn't know... How are we going to get out of it? Of course, the gag is that Gilius, being a dwarf, is too short, so he's hung by his wrists. But his ankles are <laughs> don't touch the ground, so they can't chain his ankles to the floor. And it's because his legs are free that he is able to kick Rigia as she is going in to uh, finish them off. Yes, but not before the sorcerer black spell does a spell that means that the wall that Tyrus is
0: chained to comes off, as in the form of a golem man. And like
1: walks her towards him, and it's really weird and creepy. It's quite neat. It's it's uh they don't have to unchain her to transport her. He just instead instead, he just brings the wall to life, and the wall with her still chained to it carries her for him to the corpse lands.
0: I found that quite uh, pleasantly imaginative. Yes,
1: I like that. If it
0: wasn't for the the slightly dodgy like I'm magically making you come to me and Tyrus walking uncontrollably towards him, going like. Gold's Teeth, help me, guys. Yeah, there's
1: uh, occasionally you get moments like that. I I mean, obviously it's a moment that's dated poorly in any context. Yeah. But it's guys. You know, they use lingo that doesn't feel like it belongs in the fantasy world.
0: Yeah, you've got a modern colloquialism
1: like, help Help me, guys, guys. in the same breath as Gold's Teeth. It wouldn't be so bad from Gilius, because Gilius kind of mm. has this slightly anachronistic touch to his speech, this ruffian type. I've been hanging around long enough. Yeah,
0: because he stands out as a slightly comic character, it, it makes sense that he would he, accidentally stumble upon what we know to be colloquialisms of the modern age. That, Doesn't that would...
1: sound right coming out of Tyrus' mouth.
0: Yeah. I like the bit where um, <laughs> where Blackspell says to Rigia. Kill them, but keep the bodies. I might want to bring them back to life and torture them later on.
1: <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's a good line. I like the bit as well where after Axe and uh, Gilius manage to escape, as I say, Gilius um, throws off Rigia's blow, so she accidentally severs Axe's chain with her sword. Axe grabs the key, knocks her out, and um, then they free themselves. And then they put Rigia in the chains, but they chain her upside down.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's hanging by her ankles and. In- A really uncomfortable way. The way that the ground is pressing on her neck is... I'm not comfortable with it.
1: And then this wizard
0: shows up. And then this wizard shows up, who don't... When we say wizard, instead,
1: imagine, I mean... A trader wizard.
0: Well, a sort of Lando-inspired pirate of the Caribbean, I think is how I'm going to say. Yeah,
1: yeah, very much so. Now, I specifically went out of my way to look this character up, because yeah. he appears so randomly, you'd assume it was something from the game. Yeah. But not as far as I can tell.
0: No, he certainly doesn't fit the style, does he?
1: No. It's another, you
0: know, an anachronism. It's another modern thing.
1: Well, it seems a little bit um Sinbadish, the Silk kerchief, the the flowing collar, the the plunging neckline, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the um bandana. The- this is a sexy wizard, Chris. He oh, absolutely. That's where the Lando comes in.
0: Yeah, yeah, and well, yeah, and so then they go to a place called the Corpse Lands, where they meet. Um, oh, what's her name? Ultima. There you go. Alt- How can I forget these names?
1: I know, right? I like this line from Axe. Um, the, the wizard, Prophet, should profit, by the way, because he's a trader wizard yes. and he's just here to make money. He shows them his scrying pool that shows him the near future where um, Blackspell is preparing to sacrifice Tyrus to bring dark gold back to life. And then we do another little jump cut um, to 20 minutes and 20 gold coins later and axe says are you sure we shouldn't just killed him and taken the Bazarians? and gilius <laughs> goes never fight a wizard if you can avoid it it's not worth the aggro <laughs> that's a good line aggro, aggro and we completely yeah. accept aggro but it in sounds that. fine coming out of his mouth yeah yeah, yeah. um and I, I, now we're turning axe
0: battler's bloodthirstiness into something of a running joke and i i think that's where it belongs yeah
1: it was very straight last issue. I
0: like this comic now.
1: Yeah, it's kinda come. I'm coming around on it. Like Prophet did disarm me whenever I read through the first time. Yeah. But I'm kinda getting into the flow of it, the vibe of it now, and the sheer the sheer non sequitory randomness of certain elements of it is, is becoming a little endearing now at this point. It's start
0: well, that's because it's starting to step away from the overbearingly serious tone of the first one and it's it's allowing itself to be a bit laid back and a bit fun, like like British comics were. Yes. Just, Just a advert. Just a page, page of adverts. There's a page of adverts for some Panini Sega Super Play cards. Uh, it's the first awesome STC freebie. Says Sonic, "Act now, there is no tomorrow." That is a quote. Sonic is pictured saying, "Act now, there is no tomorrow." <laughs> oh,
1: that's very. That's something I would expect to hear out of Japanese Sonic.
0: Yes. Um,
1: There's an advert for some Captain Scarlet, t-shirts, and a starter kit for
0: stamp collectors. Stamp collectors. Yeah, the standard comics advert of the time, not themed at all. And so we enter, turning the page, the
1: Q-Zone. This issue, Super Kickoff, Road Rash 2, Streets of Rage, Wimbledon Tennis, and Prince of Persia. Didn't play a single one of them. Did play Streets of Rage, but this is for the Game Gear version of Streets of Rage, which I did not own.
0: Nope, I never played any of them. And so I don't care about the codes. If you do, hey, write in. I'll tell, look them up and I'll tell you them. And so <laughs> in Demon World Part Two. I read this one in a hurry because it is struggling to keep my interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. Uh, you know, I'll still say it's nice and colourful. Yeah, It is. It is nice and colourful in a in a very odd way. Like, end of page one, you've got this close-up of Wonderboy, Shion, with half green and half purple, and it's yeah. supposedly a lighting effect, although nothing particularly lighting-y is happening
1: around him that would cause That's, it. I'm not sure what it's supposed to represent. No, yeah. just drama, I suppose. So, the plot of this one, anyway, is uh, following on from the cliffhanger from last issue, where Shion was caught just as he was trying to rescue the visitors he um, uh, legs it basically Um, (laughs) tries to force the demons back with quake magic but winds up blasting himself off a cliff and falling unconscious and he wakes up the next morning and simply has to go and catch up with the demons and uh, seems very much like perhaps he runs through the first level of the game Mm. to get there and then he catches up to them and we're basically left in the same position we were at the end of the first part (laughs) Yes. So, anything to dig into here, then? They keep pushing the Wonderboy nickname They do. Line. It's still not funny. <laughs> um, How did I get that nickname?
0: It's something that's, that's really driving in bonkers, and uh, hey, maybe it will us before long.
1: I suppose that's the problem, isn't it, with um, serialized short-form comics like this, with only four pages to work with. Um, it's like, he literally just got done complaining about it a second ago. It's like, we remember. On page two,
0: we have him summoning some magic with... The, I guess they wanted a sort of by the power of Greyskull, a, a way that he summons magic, a thing that he recites. And what they've gone with is, let magic appear and spell me a quake.
1: I quite like that. I don't know why I like it's it. It's quite nice. I, there's something a little flowery about it. Essentially, what we've got here is
0: a golden axe Babies, essentially. We've got a a, a younger... gold Axe Babies. Yeah, it's (laughs) a a younger adventurer going around in a a quite sort of similar... I, I suppose the fact that he's fighting these demons makes it very similar, but it all seems... Well... It doesn't seem much lighter to look at exactly, but it kind of is, the tone is. It
1: is a little more cartoony even than the previous issue's art was, I think. Yes. Some of the faces he's pulling as he goes over the cliff, for instance. Oh,
0: I love that bit. On page three, there's three whole, four pole panels, long ones stretching across the page hmm. of him falling down this cliff, going bok, bock, kabok, down little uh, steps of cliff. See, that's pacing. And it's fun. He's woken up by a monkey. From the game, I assume. Uh, maybe? I don't know. I don't recognize it from the bit that I saw, but then I didn't play very far. Um, but then the monkey, d- I mean, kisses him? <laughs> There's a drawing of them locking lips, and-, and it isn't addressed, so I think that's just a perspective issue, and actually the monkey's just sitting over him. Yeah, I think
1: you're right. Yeah. He's just
0: It just says, no. Oh, he's one of Monster World's stupid monkeys bothering me and
1: i think if it was kissing him he would say more about it um i did have to chuckle at this next line because obviously the first thing i thought of was yourself um, saying go away monkey i don't want to kill you because <laughs> <laughs> uh, as dave was recounting his uh his first playthrough of uh wonder boy last episode and that was the emotion you felt towards the cutesy little
0: animals some of which we now see um really cutesy like little round eyes and a big gritty mouth crabs are turned into sort of lobster looking realistic things here Mm -hmm. he jumps on a jellyfish that again looks kind of grotesque but it's just a cute jellyfish with a big smile in the games
1: and again the strip does that thing we pointed out last issue where it's all cynical about the game when he jumps on the jellyfish as a platform and goes why do they do that real handy though and it's like stop drawing attention to it commit to the bit
0: And finally he runs up to a crowd of people in the town who are all standing around
1: a demon because obviously the idea is that the demons are just basically roving through Monster World, uh, scouring villages and taking the people captive, and they're on their way back to Demon World, but this is their next stop, is the fishing village of Fisherton. It's a strange way to end it. I don't know where it's going to go. We'll see next episode. (laughs) But yeah, they're all just standing around. I I believe this is Grimaman himself, the demon lord. That's right. And everybody's just standing around him like it's no big thing that they're here. And Cheyenne runs up and says, don't listen to him. You've got to fight. They're out to get you as if the
0: yes they're all just listening and it gives the impression that he's been standing there yeah doing a sermon or something trying to convince them yeah to come with yeah because he's just standing there he's not even doing like a pose like he was about to attack them he's just stood there they're all stood there and they're and they're all drawn in this semi-realistic style except
1: <laughs> this one kid who- except for the anime eyes little kid yeah <laughs> who grime him and then picks up upside down by the leg as if to drive home the fact that he's he is quite evil and there's no strange ulterior um plot going on here at all and it's just no. a really weirdly staged scene so it's like we've broken into
0: this scene where he was convincing the villagers Maybe he was doing quite well, and then in comes Cheyenne and says, like, "Oh, don't listen to him." So he just wordlessly picks up a child
1: by the ankle, and like it's the wordless part that's <laughs> the problem, yeah and look he doesn't look in Cheyenne's direction. No. It doesn't seem like his action is undertaken because of Cheyenne's presence. Yeah. He just does it anyway, and Cheyenne's just too late to stop. it's it's really weird. Maybe the next episode will retroactively cast it in more sense, but I'm not hopeful. <laughs>
0: Despite everything, though, I mean, I feel as if we're being down on this one, but I, I, I quite like it. I mean, especially the bit where he boxes way down the cliff. To me, that yeah, that's
1: good pacing. I definitely enjoyed this second chapter more than I did the first.
0: Yes, I can't help but wonder what's going on with his chin there in the middle of uh, the final page. It, it looks as if a drop of something dropped onto the original art and just bleached the color out of the yeah, oh, yeah, perhaps the bottom of his face.
1: There's some nice colors. I think the colors are really what's catching my eye on this one. There's some ni- he's a nice bright. Figure with his blue hair and his green and purple and silver armor, and the demons are all red. And then a lot of the action on the first couple of pages is set against like the starry night sky or the purple aurora of the moonlight. It looks nice. It, it genuinely yes. does look quite nice. And then and then the sunrise, the panel of him running along the beach is a lovely collection of nice like warm colors. It, it's very nicely done. That's right, and it's it, it, the contrast is
0: very high, and I mean that in the sense that you know like the contrast slider is up. It's there's no there's no light colors here. They're all all quite deep colours. Yeah, it's quite saturated. Yes, it's like a Halloween sticker set or something. <laughs> hey, maybe that's just a reference from my life, but that's what it looks like to me. Whereas, and I and I think it might be aiming for something a bit more like what um, the Shinobi Strip did quite masterfully, which is still to have stark colours, but for them to... You know, evoke certain moods. Here, they—it's just a high contrast. But it,
1: yes, it is interesting to look at. It's funny though, because my memory of Wonder Boy is definitely that the saturation would wind up being turned way down as, as it went on. Yeah, it would become quite a quite a washed out series by the second Wonder Boy strip. Oh, really? To my memory, but we'll see as we go.
0: Well, it's quite extreme at this stage.
1: It's done with... uh, I guess it has an ink look. The colours look like they're done in ink, Mm, is mm. what I think I'll say about it. It's actually not a point that we've made at any point in our first three episodes, but it's probably worth us pointing out now, particularly for any American listeners or or, uh, younger ones who weren't aware of the standard but these are all fully painted strips we should say
0: oh yes yes we're not talking about flat colors here these are in every single comic these are
1: not um, mechanically separated color or anything you can see the stroke of the brush you can see the blending of the paints because that's just how it worked that's that was how british comics of this level were done
0: i don't even know what they did in the early archies because it looks like fill tool but presumably that it was done with Something physical.
1: I would presume it's the old, this, the straightforward cut acetates that you used for your mechanical separation. Oh, really? Your four inks. Well,
0: no. Here we have. I mean, particularly the um, the Golden Axe comic is the most painted of the lot, and it really oh, is absolutely. like you know, fantasy art style painted.
1: Properly channeling that Frazetta Vallejo painted barbarian vibe, Del- quite deliberately. So like, it it uh, it knows what it's at. It knows what it wants to be. Scream-wise. Uh, yes, these ones again feel like we might be up to the point where we're possibly getting some real ones now. This is a month on from the release of the first issue. We have uh, a question from someone uh, asking where Tails is because he was only just you know mentioned or seen in some pieces of promotional art on the first issue. Mm. and Megadroid obviously reminding him saying hey there'll be plenty of tales in this comic
0: and also of course we've had tales in this and the previous issue now so that is an out of date letter which
1: just lends credence to the reality of it. Then there's uh, another one here asking for posters of hopefully Kid Chameleon which is obviously a way to remind us that Kid Chameleon will be having a strip in issue 7. Another letter like last issue asking why Sonic is blue another request for his origin and a request for an echo strip. And interestingly placed on the
0: page in what I think is the same position as the previous "Are you doing Sonic's Origin?" Yes, we are letter. So
1: that might not be real, but who knows? <laughs> and yet another one congratulating them on the price. Mm. I'm right congratu- to congratulate you on such an excellent comic and for keeping it at such an excellent price. Most mags nowadays are a total ripoff. I'm a Game Gear owner, and when I heard that such an excellent comic was out at such a low price. <laughs> I rushed over to the newsagent to get it. Keep up the great work. And then Megadroid replies, Of course you know why SDC is at such a low price, don't you, Andrew? It's because those humes who think they run this comic don't pay me a penny. Not even a can of oil. Still, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. And all we have apart
0: from that is a a couple of pieces of uh, fan art. Uh, One from a Michael Ridd in Deal, Kent, who was drawn... This is the sort of of boy that uh, that I wasn't, uh, but I had a friend who was. It's a drawing of Sonic, but this kid is more interested in Sonic as a sponsorship of Formula One mascot than as a character. So he's he's looking very much like a logo here, leaning against the Canon and Williams Formula One racing team logos, and then two depictions of helmets and the uh, the information that they are Damon Hill and Alan Prost's helmets. Not into that, but then we have, I mean, good work, of course, Michael
1: i'll have to take michael red's word for
0: it yeah and then we have something from simon queen of buckley in north wales who has drawn just a sterling piece of sonic art with as many characters on it as he possibly can you've got the the little animals at the bottom you've got robotnik o- over the top doing his kind of i'm coming to get everything pose from sonic 2 except from the front so he hasn't just copied it lots of badniks everywhere sometimes in the middle lovely stuff and if you would like your letter printed in a future issue of Sonic the Comic the Podcast, then send it to stctpodcast at gmail.com and also remember to tell us on Twitter that you did that. Otherwise, we won't remember to look. And there we
1: go. That's issue three of Sonic the Comic. Next issue, we are told we'll be heading for the next level. Shinobi in the Hall of the Monkey King. Wonder Boy goes after those demons. Golden Axe. Tyrus goes under the axe. And Sonic goes badnik (gasps) oh no plus the latest news reviews, charts hints tips and many more surprises can't wait to see sonic
0: defect to the badnik side and then that be the end of the whole series
1: oh i've just noticed this here i don't i don't remember if they specifically stipulated the day but i had forgotten that sonic the comic was released on saturdays Oh gosh, because it became Wednesdays, didn't it? Uh, Wednesdays, maybe Thursdays. It's uh, because midweek somewhere, somewhere along the way, there midweek became the standard day. That mm,
0: certainly, my era that I remember was when it was on. Wednesdays.
1: Yeah, I feel like I remember that the day shifting at some point. I forgot that it started out being on Saturdays. I wish comics had still come out on Saturdays for longer, because it made the weekend... Yeah. It was cool! You know, it was the weekend, the comic was out, it was... I mean, and that's, you know, as I, I said in our first episode, and that's when I would have got comics originally, was when my dad went out on Saturday morning yeah. to get the papers, go to the news agents and come back with the comics.
0: I think that's probably a fairly universal experience and, and per- perfect day for it to happen.
1: I don't know why they moved it. We'll have to keep an eye out for the date change on that one that'll be of interest to nobody but us (laughs) but that's all that this podcast is all about isn't it it's going back and living in the moment and looking at all the stuff that was going on at the time and reminiscing about it
0: oh i thought you meant talking about things that are of interest to no one except us oh (laughs) well that's also true and hopefully if it's of interest
1: to any of you we'll see you again next issue boomers if you're still out there if you want to follow us on social media i am chris mcfeely on twitter and youtube i am
0: demon tomato dave on twitter and youtube and twitch and you can hear me on my animation podcast serious Disney. our opening theme was synchronized by sonic the comic the band this has been sonic the comic the podcast and we'll see you next time bye
1: bye. back now there's no tomorrow